Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach, and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer with joy. I am joined <laughs> with, I am joined by my favorite person in the world, Kristen Williams, physical therapist and lit senior teacher extraordinaire. Yay, Kristen. Yay. You are my favorite person in the world, too. You really are. Thank you. I love for having me. I love doing this. And we love answering your questions, everybody. So thank you. Keep sending them in. Uh, All right. Yeah. You want to? Yeah, I'll start off. We've got a couple of uh, wristish things. Pavian Nicola asks, suddenly there's a clump in my inner wrist thumb side, not hurting, but how to get rid of it. Um, so as we always would like to say, we don't, you know, we can help, but we don't know unless we actually saw you. And even then we might not know. So we're just going to kind of take a stab at the dark, what that might be, but a clump in the inner wrist, uh, that sounds like a ganglion perhaps. Um, so a ganglion is where the, the covering of nerves is it's like a little sheath. Like if you ever have like a vacuum cleaner hose and there's like a little thing that slides, at least I do. I pull it out of the wall and it's so it encases that. And it can sometimes, you can sometimes have a, that sheath kind of push through um, and form like a little lump. And if it's in the right place, it won't bother you because if you don't weight bear on it, it usually doesn't hurt. But if it's in like the wrist joint where the wrist moves and it gets compressed, that's when people really complain about it. So it's called a ganglion cyst. And nobody really knows why they happen. Some people might be more prone to them. It might be more of a genetic component, but it's still nobody. People just don't know. Um, Some people will never have them. Some people have them. They go away. They come back. They get them removed. They come back. They might not come back. It's, It's just there's a whole host of possibilities. But the fact that it isn't bothering you, it isn't hurting, that is a great thing because um, I've seen people with ganglions and they're large and they don't bother people if they're in the right location, if you aren't moving in the wrist and compressing them. Because people that have that weight-bearing is tremendously uncomfortable, even painful, and that's a big bummer because there's like not a lot you can do except to wait for it to go away. Um, You could get it removed, but there's always that possibility. Do you have any more ideas behind that? 
No, that was exactly my thought too. First, when you said clump, I was like, was it clunk or clump? But yeah, so it's definitely like some sort of a a bulge or um, yeah, it sounds just like a ganglion cyst, hugely common in the wrists. Um, they will, they can spontaneously go away on their own. They used to tell people to bang them with the Bible. The Bible, even, the Bible don't, thumper, don't do know? that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, because they will like get it to kind of explode and then it, it um, usually reforms. And then of course there's other hosts of issues you may have from that happening. Sometimes it happens accidentally. People will accidentally hit it on something and it will pop. And um, they usually come back. I mean, my, my dogs get them. Uh, right on their little elbow. Yeah, where Orlando has one too. Them. Yeah. Yep. And it'll spontaneous, or I'll get it drained, or you can, because you can, you can get these things drained, you can get them removed. But even the vet says it's going to come back. It, it is, yeah, we don't know why it happens on some people. Like you said, I have heard that, they, that you can be, have that genetic. Um, but, you know, if it's something that's bothering you aesthetically, then yeah, you can get that thing removed, get it drained. Just know that it's not necessarily going to fix it it might some people get them taken out and they they don't ever come back so um you know if it's something big and just drives you crazy from the look of it then you know you can go to your you know go to your doc and have you know him or for him or her refer you out for that but otherwise if it's not bothering you it's Leave just it like a little benign yeah. yep yes right and ganglion for those of you who don't know ganglion just kind of is a complex of nerves you know and so that's it, it's not that it's pushing on the nerve. It's doing, it's like a cyst that kind of pulls out of, from the sheath of where that covers the nerve. Um, so this is a kind of, this is fun. Andrea heartbeat seven tips for bloating. What do you eat in a day? <laughs> We've talked about eating a little bit in here before. Um, tips for bloating. Well, I mean, I'll just shoot right away. I, I mean, bloating is caused for, from various reasons. So first, like, the best way, if you're having regular bloating, is to start journaling. Um, and it's 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 really arduous. Like, who wants to write down what you eat? It's kind of boring and task. But it is it can really give you an idea. So I ate something, and like an hour later, felt like crap, really bloating. There could be something um, that you ate. And I always would, you know, add the caveat is go, go and talk to a doctor about this. Go and talk to a functional doc, medicine doctor who's not going to just look at the intestines, but also really examine um, what you're eating, how you're digesting, what your stress level is. Because if you're really stressed, you are probably, if you eat really fast, you know, there's all types of things that can affect our digestion. Um, and stress is definitely one of them. So A, keep a food journal, figure out like if you always eat white pasta and you feel bloated, that might be something you just want to eliminate. And and that's that's okay. Do that. Just know that you know, sometimes you'll look at something and it looks so great, but then just remember like, ooh, is that going to feel great in an hour? Because you have to look at food as fuel and um, fuel is not going to make you feel bloated or lethargic. It's going to give you energy. And I think that's really where all of us, uh, it's really incumbent. This is one aspect, just like sleep, just like taking care of ourselves. We need to examine what we're eating, not so much about calories, but about fuel. How is it fueling us? How is it making us feel? I want to sustain my energy just like I would take care of my car. I'm going to do the same thing with my body, which is has its own engine and all that. And, you know, then also look at your stress level, how you're eating. Are you, are you standing up and chomping down? Are you eating in a car? Are you eating a lot of 
you know, processed foods. Those are all things that can contribute to feeling bloaty. You have any comments? Yeah. I mean, I don't have much to add to that. I would definitely say looking at what you're eating and, um, you know, I would argue that you may have, if, and if you find that common thread, you, you might have an intolerance to it. Um, you know, I know a lot of people lactose intolerant, let's say they, they, they t- become vegan, no more bloating, no more, no more gas, no more, um, or people introduce dairy back into their diet and, you know, they're, you know, so I know that's a common, uh, dairy and gluten are two kind of more common causes, I think of bloating. Um, but, uh, I mean, that time of the month, I think hormones can, can, can play a role too, but if it is a year round day, you know, month round, like the entire month, I love your idea of, which I know you did for Olivia, you know, really went and took that integrative approach. And then you all did it. The whole family did it just to see like, mm-hmm. what is going on in the gut? The gut is much more important. We know now what we didn't know 15 years ago about the gut yeah. health. And and really, man, you get those that biome figured out. And I mean, you've seen it firsthand. It can cha- you know, change your life with actually being able to introduce stuff back into your diet that you thought you couldn't have because you got bloated because you thought you had an intolerance, but it was actually the the gut biome was off and just needed to be squared away there. So um, I, I would take a heavy, heavy look at, at at your gut biome, and 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 that would be with more of an integrative doctor than say your primary care physician. Yeah, they they won't be looking at that most likely. And you can check out my podcast. Just type in in the search bar anything about the gut. My interview with my functional medicine doctor, but I talk about gut health several different episodes. And the other thing um, I talk about in one of my episodes is the vagus nerve, which is your cranial nerve, number 10. It's the longest cranial nerve, and it it is uh, responsible for the parasympathetic nervous system in part. Uh, but that's the rest and digest part of your nervous system. So when I was talking about anxiety or stress, that will affect your vagus nerve, which innervates your gut. It innervates your intestines where all the digestion is taking place. So I make sure that you, you know, you're taking care of you and looking at all the different sources. So it could be food, it could be stress. Um, and I have an episode on the vagus nerve in particular. And in terms of what we eat in a day, the one thing I'll say is I'm lucky enough. And I mean, I love work for myself. So I really organize my eating around what I'm doing. If I'm going to be moving, I don't eat anything heavy um, prior to movement. I keep it light. Um, I do, I'm doing a lot of shakes in the morning now. My husband makes a wonderful shake to get a lot of nutrients in, in a way that is easy, easily digestible, um, because it's already kind of pre, you know, ground down. So that helps if you, with bloating as well, if you, if you like shakes. Um, but for me, it's just a way of getting a source of nutrients in an easy way. And then I can just continue with movement or whatever, but, um, everybody's different. So telling you about what we eat won't necessarily help you. It's just organize your eating to fuel you you know, really, really look at food as fuel. And I can't recommend that enough. Um, I wish more, you know, that was more in our society that we talked about it as fuel as opposed to something that might, you know, be great for us. All right. You have a question. Yes. So we have a fun question here from our friend Elizabeth, uh, who says, um, Laura, I am not a believer in Bigfoot. But on a hike recently, I was thinking about 
how in any of the blurry pictures I've seen of one, it has a forward head posture or curved spine all the way up. Any animal in nature keeps an optimal posture, doesn't it? I can't think of any animal that slouches. Do monkeys or silverback gorillas when they are seated? Question mark. What do you and KB think about Bigfoot's posture? Could the non-optimal posture disprove that Bigfoot that Bigfoot exists? I am really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. And this could be one of my favorite questions. Oh my gosh, this is yeah, you're throwing it all at us here. I mean, this is all hypothesis. I mean, um, you know, I'm one of those people that's like anything is possible, so I'm not going to rule it out. It doesn't totally make sense that there's like this this kind of human like creature that's furry wandering the woods. But anything's possible. Um, in terms of other animals, primates posture, uh, they, it depends. All of them are quadrupeds. So it's very different. You know, when we become bipedal, that's actually when we develop our secondary curve of the lumbar spine that really, you know, balances out the cervical, um, spine. So the quadrupeds don't have that. So their head isn't necessarily going to look neutral to us because they're on all fours. When they sit upright, you know, like you're talking about, if a silverback sits upright, they look very straight. <laughs> They're like super straight. They are not, you know, and um, I don't think that that's like they're thinking about their posture. I think that that's just kind of more natural for them to have more of a straight feeling spine, even though they also have curves involved. But, you know, their shoulder girdle is 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 a little different than ours. So um, I think that Bigfoot's forward head might have made him extinct. <laughs> Got tired of all that neck pain. No, I think that, you know, it is funny when you think about, um, I always kind of am marveling. I always marveled at my children when they were little and you look at pictures of, of, of babies. And so I'm talking like non walkers, crawlers who are moving in space more like a, and more like an ape. And when they come up to sit, now they've got the big head, you know, when we're literal, we have the bigger head. So of course you have this large head. You're not going to have a forward head posture. They would roll over and topple. Um, but, you know, infants who can sit up, they will sit. It, they look very much like a silverback with this extremely erect posture, wide open hips. Um, they're creating almost like this ring sit, um, which... Now, is that, you know, is, is that an evidence of, of, of our evolution of, you know, from the ape where when we are quadruped, you know, we do present more perhaps like a, like an ape. I don't know. I just was throwing that out there because I've always been baffled or just not baffled, not, um, more mesmerized with the beauty of both at the silver, but boop, they're right there. And then also infants, how, when they sit up, I mean, it is just picture perfect posture mm -hmm. they are not forward rounded so the question of the bigfoot you know um i think if you're supposing that bigfoot is not real or uh is a is an imagined thing i i would argue that's because they're they're combining an ape and a human so they're putting like an ape upper upper half with a as a biped and which uh, one could argue, like you said, we we developed our secondary curve because of our bipedalism. So why wouldn't the same thing have happened in a Bigfoot? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. 
And, because and, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And if you think about posture in general, I mean, it's such a great, um, I love that graphic where it shows evolution and it's like, you know, going from that common ancestor um, with other non-human primates and then we become bipedal and now we're kind of becoming, we're going back down to like this looking of a Neanderthal. And it really like the toddlers, like you were saying, or even before they're toddlers, when they're sitting upright, they're, they've got their back extensors just firing. And so I think the bigger question is like, what happens? Like, why do we end up having that forward head? And I really believe it's because we stop moving in a variety of ways. We start looking down a lot more, uh, going into school, going into, and then of course now with technology. And so that it would be really interesting to follow people who don't ever kind of get into a school classroom, who continue this exploration of movement you know, really in a primitive way, like doing all the, I, I imagine that they, their head is, is pretty upright when they're sitting and, and standing. It's really the de-evolution de that happens from, un unfortunately, our, our modern day lifestyle. But very interesting question that could be the prize. Okay, one <laughs> more question. Um, and this also has to do with the risk. So we'll kind of circle back to our original question. This is from Jesse Rocket Yogini. Can pain in the wrist and thumb originate from the neck, shoulders, or back? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Certainly the neck and shoulders, and I would argue the upper back more so than the lower back. I mean, is it all connected? Sure. If you've got a funky tilt of your pelvis, it is going to radiate up into your scapula, which can absolutely come down into the thumb and wrist. I am going to look more more directly proximal first into the neck and upper back and scapula. And then if that all seems to be in working order, I, I this, this, the next place I go is down to the pelvis. I mean, it is to look and, and, you know, I like to look at people when I'm, when someone comes to me for, let's say, like she said, wrist and thumb, um, I might look at their range of motion of their wrist and thumb real. It's like a real quick scan and compare it left to right. And like, okay, well, yeah, you're losing, you know, don't have quite much, but I'm going right up the chain. Um, and then I, again, I, I, and I like to watch them move. So not just a postural analysis, but especially if you're having this with yoga, look at you in your yoga practice. And that is full body, not just, I've seen a lot people, let's say going into modified or full side plank, they're having these wrist issues. Well, I look and the obliques and the glute med are just on snooze while they're on that side. So they're hanging into their wrist and the, the wrist is taking the brunt, you know, so they're surprised. And I say, you know what, we need to do a little bit of glute, you know, side, you know, side strengthening, core strengthening to take it out of your wrist. So we really want to see what's happening while you're moving throughout what you would do when it hurts and also what you do most often in your day. So that might be looking at your posture at your desk. And, you know, if you have poor sitting posture, it's going to affect down that chain into the um, wrist and thumb. Absolutely could. So the answer to that question is yes, I'm going to look at all of it. But I, I admit I will look up high first. And then if I don't quite see what I'm looking for, I'm never surprised when I see more stuff down low that's affecting the uh, wrist and hand. What about you, Laura? 
Yeah, I agree with all of that. The other thing I would just look at is what are you doing, like you said, during the day? Um, so if you're typing a lot, if you're scrolling through Instagram a lot, you're going to, um, there's going to be a lot of repetitive potential stress for the thumb, for the wrist, for the elbow. Um, it seems like such a small movement, but that small movement done repetitively. So what I'll tell people is, you know, do a different finger, do a different hand, um, try and do some stuff on your computer that you would normally do with your phone and, but position it accordingly. So look at all the positioning that you do habitually. This is by far one of the biggest reasons it sets you up for all the stuff that, that you might be experiencing on your yoga mat or elsewhere. So to Kristen's point, like look at posture, look at the strength and the stability of the core, um, the alignment of the, the head, you know, forward head, like we were just saying, is really disastrous for that whole area. And if it's forward, it is, uh, it is always going to have an impact because it is taking the skull forward and compressing the exit of these spinal nerves. And those spinal nerves come down and eventually um, innervate both from a motor and sensory um, standpoint your upper extremities. So if you feel numbness, tingling, pain like that, it's going to be coming from the neck um, most likely. So yeah, it's it's a lot to look at, but you have to look at all of it, but really unpack what you're doing during the day. Um, I call it iPhoneitis, that thumb just moving all the time. And it can, and then, then you might, then you might just get a little bit tender there and you substitute something with your wrist up into the elbow. So you got to look down, up, inside, the whole thing. Can't get away with just looking at the one area. All right. As always, yeah. we love, love, love answering your questions. So make sure that you write us with any question. As you can see, no question is off. We, we will answer practically anything. <laughs> um, you can always email support at lityoga.com. We get that. And find us on Instagram at kbwilliams99 for me and laura.hyman for Laura. Yes. Uh-huh. Thank you, honey. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. Love you, too. All right. As always, we're pulling for you.